So right now we're between series, and it gives me a chance to, to, to preach things that I have felt the Lord lay on my heart. Some of these go back a few weeks or months, in some cases even years, things that, that I wanted to, to cover. And, uh, and this is one of those messages today that I wanted to, I mean, wanted to uh, share with you. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. Uh, today's message is titled, Not Ashamed of the Gospel not ashamed of the gospel. We're going to be reading Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. If you're a fan of football and a fan of the NFL, then you probably know who Carson Wentz is. If you're really a fan, you know who he is. Carson Wentz is the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, the hated and despised Eagles, if you're a Cowboys fan. Well, He's a young quarterback. Uh, he, was, uh, he just finished his rookie season. But recently, very recently, Carson Wentz spoke at a church. In fact, it was an Assembly of God church in Fargo, North Dakota. Fargo is where he went to college. He went to college in North Dakota State. And he, he spoke there. He preached a very clear and very direct message about salvation in Jesus Christ. And I read what he had to say, and I thought, wow, this is so clear, so direct. He left no doubt about what it means to be saved, what the Bible says about salvation. And, and I love that, uh, even though he does play for the Eagles. But, you know, it's interesting to me because he's the second young quarterback. Benji just mentioned one in the giving talk a while ago. Second young quarterback that we've read about recently who is openly declaring his faith in Jesus and living out his faith. Of course, this other one that I'm speaking about is Derek Carr. So these two young men, they're both very young quarterbacks, and they're both being very bold in proclaiming what they believe and what they practice. Carson Wentz, a quarterback of the, of the Eagles, actually attends an Assemblies of God Church, so he's one of us. And, um, and, and that encourages me when, when I read about them, because you know we, we live in such a secular society now that it, it makes it increasingly difficult to take a stand for Christ, to be bold and unashamed for what we believe and what we we know the Bible teaches us. Yet these two young men are willing to say, I'm not ashamed of what I believe. I'm not ashamed to say I believe in Jesus. I'm not ashamed to say that I believe God's principles, whether it's to do with tithing, like Derek Carr, or whatever else it might be. They're saying, I'm not ashamed of being a follower of Jesus. Well, today I want us to look at one of the most important verses in the New Testament, one of the most important passages in the New Testament from Paul's letter to the Romans. In fact, theologian and pastor James Boyce once wrote that these verses we're about to read, he said, are the most important in the letter and perhaps in all literature. He wrote, they are the theme of this epistle and the essence of Christianity. So what are these words that he's talking about? Uh, What is this passage? It's in Romans 1, verse 16. We're going to read also verse 17. Romans 1, 16 reads like this. Paul writing, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, 
the righteous will live by faith. Now that last phrase was actually, he was actually quoting from the Old Testament, from the book of Habakkuk. The writer to the Hebrews also quotes those words, the righteous will live by faith. And some of you may know that it was Martin Luther's wrestling with this passage, with this truth, the righteous will live by faith, and finally to understand this verse that transformed his life and that led to the Protestant Reformation, that got the church back on track because it had gotten off track. And so these verses, and by the way, it's, uh, this is a 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. So I believe in the next few months, certainly around October, you'll be hearing a lot more about that anniversary. It's huge. And, uh, and these verses have had an incalculable, incalculable effect on world history. And I believe they're going to have a profound effect in our lives if we allow God to open our eyes to the truths found in them. But before we look at, at these verses, and primarily verse 16. Verse 17 is about righteousness that's revealed in the gospel, about faith. But I want to really focus on verse 16 today. But before we do that, we, I want us to, to see the flow of what Paul is writing, the flow of his reasoning here. Because he begins, if you look at verse 16, with the word for. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now that word for connects us with verse, or connects verse 16 with verse 15. Where Paul said, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. In fact, I want you to notice how many times he writes about wanting to go to Rome. In verse 10, he writes this. In my prayers at all times, I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Right? So he's saying, this is what I'm praying for. Verse 11. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That's the second time. Third time in verse 13, he says... I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. Right? So he's emphasizing, I really want to get to you in Rome. And then in verse 15, he says, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So why is he so eager to get to Rome? And why is he so eager to preach the gospel in Rome? So he says in verse 16, for or because I am not ashamed of the gospel. So the next question is, why not? Paul, why are you not ashamed? He says, for it is a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then we might ask, so how is that so? How is this gospel the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes? He says, for in it. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So the question might be, so, so Paul, is this a new idea? No, he's, like I said, he's simply uh, quoting Habakkuk 2.4. He says, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. Now, let's go back to that first phrase, because for, for weeks I've been thinking about this passage, this verse, and, and this phrase where Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I've just kind of been thinking about that. And, and just, just just kind of reflecting on it throughout the day, I ask myself, why does Paul say, I am not ashamed of the gospel? 
Well, I read that this is actually the use of a literary device, figure of speech, as it were. We learned many types of figures of speech in school, the metaphors, the similes. Remember all those? Well, this is one that wasn't as familiar to me. You might know this, but this is a literary device known as lidotes. And a lidotes or a lidotee is uh, when you use an understatement to express something positive through the negative of the contrary. Did you get that? It's using an understatement to express a positive through the negative of the contrary. Yeah, all that means is, uh, for example, parents. Let's say that you give your son a job to do. Let's say that you tell your son, I want you to go outside, I want you to clean the yard, I want you to do this. You tell him what you want him to do, clean up and, and move or cut some wood or whatever it might be. I don't know. Kids still cut wood. But whatever job you might give him to do. And then an hour or two later, you go outside to inspect his work. And he's done everything you've asked him to do, to do the way you asked him to do it. And you might look at that and say, not bad. Not bad. Okay, now that is a light OT because you're actually using an understatement. What you really mean is, good job, son. But instead of saying, good job, son, you say, not bad. Not bad. You know, thanks for doing that. Okay, that is a lidotee. And, and Paul is using lidotees when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What he really means is, I'm proud of the gospel. What he's really saying is, I glory in the gospel. I stake my life in this. When he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But the question still remains, and I still have this question, why would he express it that way? Why would he express it that way? Well, there are many reasons that he might express it in the negative. I am not ashamed of the gospel. There are a lot of reasons why he might do that. Just like there were a lot of reasons why someone, whether Paul or someone else, might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, especially in a city like Rome. Remember, he wrote this letter to the Romans. Rome was a very sophisticated city. And the gospel of Jesus Christ was not highly respected because the gospel was about a Galilean carpenter who was executed by the Roman government in the most humiliating way possible by crucifixion. Crucifixion was a, was a humiliating way to die, to, to be executed. It's a very embarrassing way to die. And so this message about a, a guy, a man, a carpenter who was humiliated and was crucified. I mean, this is Rome. This is the capital of the civilized world. This, this is Rome where your message had better appeal to the educated or is not going to be accepted. Your message better offer political solutions to the needs of the empire or is not going to gain a hearing here. Your, your message better offers some answers to the massive problems in society, whether it's the problems of slavery or greed or lust or violence, or the people of Rome won't listen. So it would have been tempting for someone to try to soften the message of the gospel in the city of Rome. And this is not unlike our society today, where it's tempting to try to hide the fact that we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's not so widely accepted anymore. Our culture looks down on the gospel and look, they look down on those of us who believe in the gospel. 
So it's easy to minimize the fact that we're believers in Jesus and we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ such as it's taught in the scriptures. Others in our culture are not so ashamed of what they believe. We see them boldly proclaim their beliefs. They promote their beliefs and and they demand that others believe with them. So they have pride month and pride marches and speeches and they demand to be heard while at the same time they insist that Christians keep their beliefs to themselves. How dare you try to force your beliefs down my throat, they say. We're not trying to force our beliefs on anyone, but it is time for us, I believe, to declare with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why does he say that? He answers that when he says, because the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. That's why I'm unashamed. Because the gospel is a power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And, and this is really the, the big idea of what I'm trying to share with you today. Our big idea today is this. Because the gospel is a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, we must believe it and proclaim it boldly. We must believe it and proclaim it boldly. Now, Paul uh, made it clear in his letter, chapters 1 all the way to chapter 3, that all have sinned. He writes that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, all have sinned and fall under God's righteous condemnation. Now, because all have sinned, then all are alienated from God because God is absolutely righteous. And if we have sinned and we have sinned, then we're separated from God. So, Paul writes, we're all under God's wrath. God is absolutely righteous. We have all sinned, so we're all under His wrath. He says in verse 18, right? Uh, the verse after we, uh, 17 that we just read. Verse 18, he wrote this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless, godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Right? So we're under God's wrath. Now salvation, he writes about salvation The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Salvation then refers, and I hope you're you're tracking with me here. Uh, God is absolutely righteous. We're sinful, so we're under God's wrath. But salvation then refers to being rescued from God's wrath and being rescued from the judgment that we deserve because of our sin. Salvation means being delivered from the penalty of sin, which happens The moment we believe, we're rescued from the penalty of sin. Salvation means being delivered from the power of sin. As we grow in godliness, we call this sanctification. We're delivered from the power of sin as we grow in godliness. But salvation also has some positive aspects. Such as we enjoy peace with God, a reconciled relationship with God. We receive all the riches of Christ. Paul told the Philippians, all the riches of Christ are ours through Christ when we're saved. 
So we have you know, the negative side. We're saved from judgment. We're saved from wrath. We've got the positive, positive side. We've got peace with God. We've got blessings. The riches of Christ. But if we think that we need to sell the gospel by glossing over the negative aspects of salvation, the negative sides that says, you're a sinner, you're under God's wrath, and you need to be saved and delivered from God's wrath. If we think we need to sell the gospel by glossing over that negative side of salvation and focusing only on the positive side of salvation, then we fall into the sin of being ashamed of the gospel. We don't need God's salvation and uh, we don't need Christ to die on the cross for us or Christ didn't need to die on the cross if we're all basically good people who just need encouragement once in a while. We don't need a crucified Savior if our main need is only that our self-esteem needs to be increased once in a while. We don't need salvation. We don't need a crucified Savior if all we need to do is learn some helpful hints for happy living and we're okay. The truth is, we need a Savior who was crucified because of our sins, who was crucified for our sins, because we all by nature are ungodly, we're rebels, and we're under God's wrath, His righteous wrath. Now, that message is offensive to the, to the natural man. But if we pull our punches on this point, then we miss the heart of the gospel and we miss the power of the gospel. The gospel is only good news to the person who realizes that he needs to be saved or he will be eternally punished and will eternally perish. Now salvation, and here's the, the point, salvation requires the power of God. Salvation requires the power of God because of, of where we are, where we're alienated from God. We're separated from God. We can't save ourselves. We're ungodly rebels. By nature, we're evil. We can't save ourselves. Salvation requires then the power of God. The gospel doesn't tell people about the power of God, but rather the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is a power of God for salvation. This means that salvation isn't something that sinners can attain by their own efforts or by their good works. If that were true, as I said, Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. Salvation is not even a joint effort where God does His part and then we do our part. No, it's all God. Now you may be thinking, but don't I need to believe? Don't I need to have faith? Yes, you need to have faith. But saving faith, which includes repentance, saving faith is not something that sinners produce on their own. Saving faith, the Bible says, is a gift of God. Repentance, Paul said, or Peter said, is a gift of God. Saving faith is a gift. So even the ability to believe in Christ and to believe the gospel and to receive it is a gift of God. And, and I think it's important to see that salvation doesn't depend on a human decision alone, but it depends on the power of of God. It's easy to believe that. I just. Made a decision. I just. Prayed the, the prayer. Of salvation. And I'm saved. And certainly that guides us. Into a relationship with Christ. 
And that can be the beginning of, the, of a relationship with Christ. But that alone doesn't mean that we're saved because salvation requires the power of God. This is why some, I've heard parents say, I don't understand, my, my son has left the church, has left God. And I don't understand because when he was six years old, he, he said the prayer of salvation. He made a decision for Christ. Well, maybe he made the decision. Maybe he made the prayer, but he didn't allow the power of God, the power of the gospel to change his life, his life, because salvation requires the power of God. When Jesus, just as a way maybe for you to understand this, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He came up to the tomb and he said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when he said that, it's possible the, the people that were around him may have thought, is he crazy? He's calling Lazarus to come out. He's speaking to a dead man who's been in the tomb for four days. His body is rotting, is corrupting already. And he's asking him or commanding him or telling him to come out. But we know that the power of God through the word of Jesus imparted life to Lazarus. It was the power of God through the words that Jesus spoke imparted life to this dead, dead man. And that's like the gospel. The gospel is like that. When, when the rich young ruler, remember the story of the rich young ruler who, who came to Jesus and told him, a good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus told him, uh, you know the commandments? And he says, I've done all of it. I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus says, well, there's one thing you're missing, one thing you're lacking. Sell all your riches and, and give them away and then come follow me. And uh, he walked away from that. He walked away from Jesus. He walked away from eternal life. And at that time, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, truly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And at this, the disciples, the Bible says the disciples were astonished. They, they couldn't believe what they just saw, what they just heard Jesus say. And so they asked Jesus, well, then who can be saved? Because, you know, in that culture, the rich people were blessed. And they were rich. They were blessed of God. So like if the rich can't be saved, and it wasn't so much that he was rich, but because he refused to surrender all to Jesus. But the question they asked was, then who can be saved? And Jesus' answer was this. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now I want you to notice this. Most of the time when we quote that, with God, all things are possible, we're looking for a miracle somewhere. And that's fine. We say, oh, with God, all things are possible. But look at the context. When Jesus said, with God, all things are possible, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about being saved. And he said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He's saying salvation is from God. It requires a very power of God. So the gospel is not just helpful advice that people may want to try out. No, it is a very power of God imparting new life imparting salvation to those who were dead in their sins and those who were under God's wrath and condemnation. So salvation requires the power of God. Next, we've got to then come back to this, that because salvation 
requires the power of God because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And we must proclaim the gospel boldly. We must proclaim the gospel boldly. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel because we won't see the power of the gospel if we're ashamed of the gospel. If we feel that somehow we need to sugarcoat what we believe, somehow we need to soften the message, because after all, the message of the gospel is, is offensive to people. What? You don't believe uh, in, in what the rest of the world believes? You know, where, what rock have you been living under? You're so far behind. You don't believe in, in, in abortion. Everybody believes in that. You know, you're old-fashioned. It would get called all kinds of names. You're old-fashioned. Uh, you're a hypocrite. Uh, you're, you're a hater. And so we try to soften the message of the gospel. We try to soften the things that we believe. We try to polish it up a little. Well, we can't do that because if we're ashamed of the gospel, a gospel, we won't see the power of the gospel. So we must proclaim the gospel boldly. And I believe the best way to, to begin to proclaim the gospel boldly is to live it out. To believe it and live it. To believe it and live it. Because our world is tired of hypocrites. Those who call themselves followers of Christ, but they're not really any different in their beliefs and in their actions and their lifestyles from anyone else. We're not trying to say that we're better than others, only that we're followers of Christ who have allowed the power of the gospel to change not only our destination, but to change our lives here today. And living out the gospel means prioritizing the gospel over all other things. The gospel determines our daily schedules and our weekly schedules and even what we do on weekends. The gospel guides our financial decisions. The gospel is why we spend time feeding our souls in church gatherings like this morning. And why we spend time feeding our souls in our devotional time at home. You know, when we spend more time on social media and with our smartphones, we allow this disorienting effect to take place in our souls. How many of you know that's true? That an, an addiction to our phones creates an, a disorientation in our souls. When, in, when we could be feeding our souls through the gospel, through God's word, where we, we could be receiving this powerful, life-changing effect of the gospel in our lives. So living out the gospel is where it starts. Living it out. But then we also have to proclaim it. We also have to speak it. We also have to declare it. And let me tell you, it's going to take boldness to proclaim the gospel in these last days. Because you will stand alone. You will be the exception. You're not going to fit in with your, maybe your co-workers or maybe even your family members who believe differently. But we need to have boldness in what we believe. We need to know what we believe and have boldness to declare. Know the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. Because remember, people need the power of God in their lives. And once again, I tell you that if, if, uh, if, we're unashamed of the, if we're ashamed of the gospel, we won't see the power of the gospel. We won't see the power of the gospel if we're ashamed of it. And I should remind you that proclaiming the gospel is not the same as arguing about politics and, 
and defending our political point of view. That's not what we're talking about. It's time to realize that people need the power of God in their lives more than they need us to defend our political point of view. So embrace the gospel today. Don't be ashamed of what you believe. And don't be afraid to stand alone in your workplace or with your neighbors. It'll put you in the minority. It'll put you against maybe even some of your best friends. But the gospel is a power we need. And it's a power our friends need. So we should pray for them and share the gospel with them. Right here in this room several years ago. The high school, junior high and high school students from from this school were having uh, their weekly chapel. And they had uh, a, a youth pastor they normally invite youth pastors in the city to come and speak to them. And, uh, and honestly, I don't remember who this young man was. You know, he was one of the churches. He came and, and he spoke to them and he challenged them. And uh, I was here that day and he was talking to the seniors. I think it was in May and uh, close to the end of school graduation. And he was talking to the seniors and said, you're going to go away to college. And you're going to find out a lot of things. Your eyes are going to be open to a lot of things when you get to college. And you're going to find out that. Because of your beliefs, you don't really fit in. He says, but I want to tell you, you're not supposed to fit in. You're not supposed to fit in. Sometimes we want so much and we try so hard to fit in. This is not the way he said it. I'm telling you now, but sometimes we try so hard to fit in with our culture, with our society. We want to be a part of them, that, we're, that we, we want to gloss over our beliefs. We're not supposed to fit in. We're strangers in this world. We're strangers here. And so understand that, but embrace the gospel. Live by the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. If you're not seeing the power of God, maybe it's because you're not embracing the gospel. Maybe because maybe it's because you're ashamed of the gospel. So make a decision today. The, the opportunities will be there for you to declare with boldness what you believe. Not in a hateful way. Certainly not looking down on people. Not at all. But in a way that allows the power of God to flow. The power for salvation to flow through your life. To your friends. To your family. So they also can receive this power of salvation. The world is tired of hypocrites. The world needs people who are bold. Who will stand up. Let me finish with this one last story. When I was in uh, high school, we went to a youth camp. My memories of youth camp are still so vivid, so vivid and so powerful. And uh, there was a, a preacher, uh, the speaker that day, told a story about a young man who was uh, the president of his youth group back then remember it wasn't like youth pastors like we had the president of the youth group a youth group back then was a christ ambassador so this was a ca president so this young man he was a president of the youth group and and they had youth group on on uh, sundays sunday evenings and so this young man was living a double life 
He was president of the youth group, but after youth group, he'd go off with his friends. They'd go drinking, riding around drinking. That was his life. And uh, so he said that one time he was driving with his friends. His young man was driving with his friends. It was after youth group. They, he went out with his friends. They're drinking. They're driving around drinking. And he's in the car. One of his friends is driving, and he's got a beer, can of beer in his hands. And um, his car pulls up, and it's a girl from the youth group. She was a vice president of the youth group. And she looked at him, and he's got the beer, and he puts it down. He tells his friends, go. And they take off, and the girl starts chasing them. And he's thinking, oh, I'm busted. I can't believe this. And, and so they try, to, they try to lose her. They couldn't. He, they finally stop somewhere, and she pulls up. And he's like, oh, I can't believe I got caught. They all know I'm a hypocrite. And the girl pulled up, and she, they both lowered their window. She's driving. She said, um, I just want you to know we're all in this together. And she held up a can of beer that she was also drinking. The world is tired of hypocrites. And this young man went to Bible school to study for the ministry. The same young man. And they had, uh, they had a, a, a band. They used to perform. They used to play services. And he says, but he says, we weren't serious about this. We'd go out and we'd sing and people would cry. People would pray and and we were hypocrites. He said, we, uh, this young man said, we, we had two lists of songs. And we'd say, well, okay, do we want the list that makes him laugh or the list that makes him cry? Let's make him cry today. Okay, we'll sing this list of songs. Well, this young man who was a hypocrite in high school, a hypocrite in Bible school, was the same man who was preaching to us. He said, I was, he said, I was a hypocrite. Of course, he you know, he, he cried before. He says, I, I did that. I hurt so many people. I, I confused so many people. And I misled many people. The world doesn't need hypocrites. The world needs men and women, young men, young ladies, who are willing to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Who's willing to say today, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to gloss over what I believe. I'm going to take a stand on this gospel. I'm staking my life in this. This is what we need. This is what our country needs. As we celebrate our birthday this week, we, we need more than the right legislation and amendments to the legislation. And we need the power of God for salvation. So today I want us to pray for that. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to pray. And we're going to sing a song that is a prayer. It's an old song. We've sung it here at Solid Rock for many years. But it's a prayer that says, Lord, revive us. Revive me as a follower. Revive us as a church. Revive our country. If our country needs revival, then it needs men and women who say, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is a power of God for salvation. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. Truly, these words written by the apostle, inspired by your Holy Spirit, Truly, Father, these words 
are a great challenge to us. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we have felt threatened by this culture, afraid to speak up, Forgive, forgive us, God, for the times that our decisions have, have equated to us being ashamed of the gospel. How can we be ashamed of a gospel that has given us new life? How can we be ashamed of the gospel that has allowed our sins to be forgiven? Your Father, your Son... Jesus was not ashamed to die a very embarrassing death, a very shameful death, very humiliating death. He wasn't ashamed to do that because of his love for us. How can we be ashamed to live for him? We long to see your power. I want to see your power in my life. I want to see your power in the lives of my children, my family, my friends, in this church. Help me not to be ashamed of the gospel. Help us to declare today. We declare like the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Would you say that today with me? Would you say, I am not ashamed of the gospel? Come on and say it. Say it. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Father, we declare it today. I am not ashamed. Forgive us, God. Renew us. Cleanse us. Send revival. Yeah. 